And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. The church teaches that there should be a strong, healthy relationship between the spiritual and psychological dimensions of our identities as Christians. My guest, Brother John Mark Falkenheim, is a monk at St. Meinrad Archabbey, where he's the vocation director and assistant formation director, and also adjunct professor of psychology at St. Meinrad Seminary and School of Theology. He's been interested in integrating the psychological and the spiritual dimension of our lives. And, uh, Brother, good to have you with me. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Mr. Cresta. I have, let's start uh, with some basic definitions. Since we're integrating psychological and spiritual, what is psychological? What is spiritual? Uh, well, I suppose um, to try to define psychological, you could define it in many ways. Usually when psychologists think about kind of uh, mental well-being and uh, healthy psychological functioning, we think in terms of kind of the ABCs of affect or emotionality mm-hmm. and then behavior and then cognition, so the way that we think. Um, and so our, you know, affect is really the domain of feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. Behavior is kind of our actions and what we do in terms of healthy or unhealthy behaviors. And then cognition, um, kind of how we think and process information and, uh, in conscious and unconscious ways. Um, I think the life of the Spirit really has to do with our relationship with God and uh, how we experience God and how that affects our relationships with other people. Um, and so certainly there is uh, some overlap uh, between those two, but it's important to kind of think of how they're different from one another as well. So pr- psychological problems then would be uh, like depression and anxiety, uh, paranoia. Sure. Spiritual problems would be what, despair, adultery, uh Lying. Yeah, things that we, yeah, things that we sort of think about uh, spiritual problems is is oftentimes we think about sin. Certainly, so we would think about um, kind of spiritual illnesses mm-hmm. as lying and adultery and you know gluttony and all those sorts of things. And um, and so while lying might not be a psychological kind of problem, compulsive lying would, or you know, and right. So, we, um, so yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a very good distinction. Uh, you know, in some ways. Today, it looks like psychology, spirituality, psychology, and religion can complement one another beautifully, but I know in the history of psychology, they've often been perceived as enemies, Uh, you know, titans like Freud, you know, uh, saw religion as uh, an illusion. Uh, Why? Why why off to such a bad start (laughs) at the beginning? (laughs) Well, you know, I, I'm not really sure. You know, I, I think it was, it was probably some of the historical period in which there was some um, kind of movement towards empiricism and uh, questions of spirituality or things that you couldn't prove. Um, and um, and so I think the in, kind of the intellectual tradition of the time was a little bit more suspicious of, of how people might use their religion in ways that um, kind of was just a you know, kind of a crutch or something like that. And mm-hmm. and I think that's persisted, and I think the suspicion has sort of been on both both sides. I think sometimes uh, in the past, psychology may have been suspicion of religion. That's and true, suspicious yeah. of science and psychology. But um, I think that really um, you see more and more kind of a, a stance in which the two kind of recognize the contributions of the other. So, for example, um, in the American Psychological Association, there's a whole um, kind of subdivision for psychology and spirituality and theology. There's lots of books being published on that interface. Um, and certainly in our formation documents, for example, for priests and religious life, 
uh, there's a great emphasis on the importance of, you know, kind of basic human formation of, yes. of the human being in which, you know, kind of attention to the psychological is also very important. When John Paul II emphasized that human formation is foundational to priestly formation, mm-hmm. that was received as a welcome uh, presentation. Uh, on the one hand, I would have thought that would have been presupposed. Yeah, um, yeah, you would think so. I mean, even going all the way back to uh, Thomas Aquinas, who talks about sort of uh, grace builds on nature. Yeah, exactly. Grace builds on our nature as human beings. Um, uh, so it, it's something I think to to always be reminded of, and to note that that's a very ancient um, um, kind of tenet of, of how we think about people and. Uh, kind of even Christian anthropology that, um, and so yes, I suppose I think in in light of um, kind of a, a society that's becoming more kind of psychologized in a way. Sure. Um, yep. And I, I think it, it's a, just another way of of reminding us that these things are complementary. And uh, you know, there's a really beautiful line in Pastoros Dabovobis, which is the document on the formation of priests, in which uh, Pope John Paul wrote. Um, that it's important that the priest mold his personality in such a way that it becomes a bridge and not an obstacle to people encountering Christ. And, yes. um, and if we think about any kind of minister, whether it's you know an ordained minister as a priest or a religious man or woman or, or even a layperson doing ministry in the church, um, really they are bringing Christ to other people. Um, and and so if our personality is very difficult to deal with mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, or is offensive in some way, th- there's really no way that we can become a bridge to Christ. We, we end up being kind of a barrier or an obstacle to that. And so um, it, it, it never hurts, I think, to, to always state uh, some very basic truths about, you know, kind of ministry, about our faith, right. about our Christian right. anthropology, that um, God has made us, you know, in his image and likeness, and we are human just as Christ is fully human and fully divine. And so we can't eschew um, kind of our our bodily and our human and our personal uh, kind of existence. Yeah. Now, I've been, <laughs> I've been in situations in which the, the preaching of the gospel wasn't the offense. It was the preacher himself who was offensive. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> it gets to... And it's important to point that out, that, look, um, people may reject uh, the good news for a variety of reasons, but you certainly don't want them to reject the good news because the evangelist himself is an offensive character. Yeah. Not to expect, of course, that that the evangelist is going to be a perfect character. Right, right. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that's, that's the other part of it, too, is that when we recognize our kind of flawed nature as human beings and we recognize and accept that, then we recognize God's capacity to work even through our faults and or despite our faults. Um, but there is a, a degree to which we have to be a healthy kind of human and psychological uh, being so that... Um, that grace really can build on on that healthy nature. When you look at um, American Catholicism today, you look at the laity, you look at uh, those in religious life, you look at the ordained, is there anything that strikes you in terms of affective immaturity that we really should be much more direct in addressing? There seems to be a lot of immature stuff happening I'm not just referring to the, the, the sexual misconduct issue here. 
I'm just talking about sometimes you get the impression that religious people aren't really adults. Um, well, there, you know, there's been some interesting studies along those lines. Um, and, uh, you know, to reference for a moment the, the clergy sexual offense uh, crisis, um, I had done a doctoral dissertation in that area oh. and and really looked at subtypes of offenders among clergy. And I, I didn't brothers. realize that. Tell me more, yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, so, you know, there are sort of different types of offenders, both in the general population, and those get sort of reflected as well uh, among the, the clergy and religious. Um, and, and there are certainly um, those who are really psychiatrically disturbed, but that's a very small um, kind of percentage mm-hmm. of offenders among priests and religious. Okay. Um, and then there's a kind of a, a big chunk of those who are, are characterized by a narcissistic personality style, which is very self-centered and, mm-hmm. kind of, and self-referential. But the largest group of offenders really were people who were just emotionally and psychosexually kind of underdeveloped. And so um, I, I think the nice thing in response to that and recognizing that is that in the last 20 or 30 years, we've really uh, made some strides in improving our our celibacy formation for mm-hmm. religious life and, and for priesthood and um, recognizing that both education in the world of of kind of psychosexual dynamics, but also just basic affective maturity or emotional intelligence, which the um, psychological field likes to call it, Mm -hmm. um, is a really important factor um, in terms of uh, keeping people well-adjusted as celibates, but just as as human beings. And we would hope the same for people entering into marriages and lay people as well, that um, to have nice insight uh, into our emotional experience, to have nice uh, coping tools for dealing with um, different emotional experiences, and particularly kind of aversive or challenging ones, you know, um, even attraction when we're not available to, mm-hmm. uh, to enter into a relationship with someone. And sure. that would be true for a married person or a Absolutely. As well. But yep. um, to kind of know and be aware of when we are tempted and uh, to know how to solve those problems and recognize them early so that... Um, so that we make the right decisions, and for ourselves and for other people as well. Yeah, back in 2002, uh, when the Boston Globe stories hit and there's all the flurry, I was part of a small group talking about how to respond. And my brother, uh, I mean, Father uh, Ben Groeschel was part of that group, and he and I were talking, and he mentioned that uh, when he was uh, when he was being formed, there was very little discussion of celibacy formation. That it was basically assumed you want to be a priest. Well, priests are in the Western, in the Latin, right? Priests are celibate, so you know that, and so we expect you to be celibate. The rules clear. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I was stunned. I I didn't realize that. So this idea of celibacy formation is relatively new. Is that true? Uh, yes. No, that's right. When I've talked to um, uh, men in religious life and priesthood over. You know, several generations. Um, a lot of the the older men said, "Yeah, we just didn't have much at all." Or they, you know, they told us, "Oh, just don't think about sex." <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so, you know, while there may be the tiniest kernel of truth, which is you don't obsess about sexuality and that sort of stuff, uh, you know, to to t- entirely ignore it or not prepare people for the inevitable challenges that arise. Um, is probably not going to be real helpful. Now, that's not to say that that some people weren't able to find some formation for themselves or um, or to adjust quite nicely. But um, I think that we have a better chance of um, avoiding problems when we make it um, kind of standard practice to do 
you know, good celibacy formation education in uh, sexuality and psychosexuality, education in um, emotionality and relationships um, and what are healthy relationships and what kind of healthy intimacy can um, celibate folks have. And, uh, um, and so I think we've made some real strides there in the last uh, two to three decades, certainly, and uh, I think we continue to as well. Brother, let me thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. I hope we can talk again in the future, because I know we've just kind of scratched the surface of the topic, but uh, I enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to talking again. Great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Brother John Mark Falkenhayn is a Benedictine monk of St. Meinrad Archabbey, where he's the vocation director and also adjunct professor of psychology at St. Meinrad Seminary and School of Theology. I'm Al Cresta.